0: Welcome to Estate Matters, the podcast brought to you by Core Communications, the country's leading public relations agency specialising in landed estates and rural businesses. We work with clients across the UK to raise awareness and nurture support and advocacy for their work. This podcast is all about discussing the challenges they face and how effective communications can help. I'm your host, Anna Biles, a broadcaster of nearly 20 years and now a rural affairs specialist at Core Communications. In this episode of Estate Matters, we're joined by Paul Osborne. Paul is a landscape architect and urban designer with more than 20 years of experience in the industry. He leads the urban and landscape design team at LHC Design and is passionate about sustainable placemaking and master planning. Welcome to Estate Matters, Paul. Hello. Also joining us for this episode is Andrew Howard, Senior Consultant at Core Communications, specialising in public affairs. Hello. Hi. In this episode, we'll be discussing the creation of new communities and how to communicate this over a long period of time. But first of all, I just wanted to get to know you a bit better and find out a bit more about your background and how really you came to do what it is that you do today.
1: Well, I'm a landscape architect by training and I did that as my degree at university. That's really kind of bringing together art and science and, you know, an interest in the natural environment and making places that enable people to live healthy and nowadays, obviously, the priority sustainable lives.
0: When we talk about architecture, people probably have a, a, an image in their head of drawing or designing buildings. But what you do now in terms of placemaking is really a, a lot more than simply designing a structure.
1: Yes. yeah. At LHC Design, we are you know, a multidisciplinary design practice. So we have architects in a business and the business started as an architectural practice. So that's very much focused on designing buildings. And I guess an architect will look at a project from a building first outwards uh, as landscape architects and urban designers. We work with a team of architects and all the other professions to create places and we're looking at the wider environment, how we connect in with the landscape, Uh, what's the sense of place um, and how we link in with all the systems that form part of the environment and how we live our lives.
0: And how important is that at the moment? We talk about there being, you know, a shortage of, of homes. So whereas previously we might have seen little developments pop up here and there, are a few houses, we are now seeing. And I know we're working with clients who are bringing forward plans for entire communities. And that really is what you you're passionate about.
1: Absolutely. I mean, there's a, a room for kind of developments at all scales. But in order to kind of address all the different issues we're facing and to deliver homes at scale to meet the demand in the, in Britain uh, and worldwide. We've got to look at this at a bigger scale and look at how we create sustainable places. It's great. We're walking around Cranbrook this morning, which is a planned new community in East Devon. And it's thinking about the, kind of the whole experience of people who are living here. So it's not just about what the house is like, but where are people going to shop? Where's the school? Where are people going to work? And we're walking through the country park here, which is amazing green space that's providing that facility for people to be able to kind of uh, enjoy their environment walk, cycle be exercised kind of and move in a sustainable way as well as living in their nice houses
0: now we talked a little bit in the the last episode with lyrics about the challenges of communicating a vision like this i suppose though this has huge benefits because when you're designing from something from the outset from the literally from the ground up you can incorporate things like this country park which bring huge huge benefits to to people
1: yeah, absolutely. And I think that's really what we try and bring to the design process and so working with the broader design team. So you have to understand the site that you're working within. So things like ecology, drainage and flooding, highways and transport, how do people move around sustainably, uh, where's energy coming from, all of those factors and more. And then working with, as we do with you guys, the, the comms team. To, to explain that, explain how we're working in the context and how the new development can enable more sustainable ways of living that obviously address the issues we've got to face at the moment.
0: And Andrew, from a, from a comms perspective, I mean, Cranbrook wasn't a project that, that we worked on, but how hard is it to explain to people an entire vision from a communications perspective?
2: It's very tricky. People always think that new communities probably are just going to be bad because they look at the impacts on their lives as they exist at the moment and we need to say actually folks this isn't just really about you it's about your children and your children's children about giving them somewhere safe warm to live where they can work where they aren't jamming up the roads the big questions that people always ask over any development usually is well what about what about the the facilities what about the infrastructure where are they going to go to school where are they going to go to the doctors how are they going to get to work and the joy almost of these new communities is that you actually bolt those in from the very beginning. So that Cranbrook, for instance, some of the first things that were built were actually the schools. And it was, I guess, quite odd. I, I was never there. But I imagine a school with very few pupils is going to be a very strange place. But now they're growing and thriving and really well regarded as, as education facilities. So the infrastructure came first in Cranbrook in, in some areas, in others not so much. The, the sort of shopping centre has been long awaited. Uh, and, and that's one of the key things, actually, to say to people, that you don't need to get in your car every day for everything. You can actually walk to the shops or cycle to the shops. You can walk your kids to school or they can ride their bike. If you need to go into Exeter, there's a train station down there. You can park for free. We've just parked for free in the car park. Which is Where does that happen? You know, so so the, the, the vision can be really exciting, so long as people buy into the fact that this isn't really just about them and how... People near Cranbrook will be affected by traffic and noise and construction. It's about that long-term view about, really, where do we want people to live? How do they want to live their lives? We're giving people much healthier homes. Modern homes are healthier, so actually they don't need to go to the doctor so much. We're giving people warmer homes, really well insulated in many instances. In lots of these new communities, That the point is, how can we actually have each individual building as net zero as possible? so that actually people don't need to turn the heating on in winter. The solar panels, if we can get around to a a place where solar panels are pretty much built in all the time, then, you know, the electric bills are going to be really minimal. So we're saying to people, look, this is a vision for a future home within a future community and look how great it will be.
0: So Paul, when you get to that consultation level, what are the questions that people are asking you about designs for a certain place?
1: People are obviously, as we've touched on, uh, really interested in how the development might impact on their quality of life. But in- increasingly, people are much more aware about the kind of climate and biodiversity emergencies and are really interested in how the development will be tackling those issues. And specifically, we get asked a lot about uh, energy use and the design of new houses. Will they have solar panels, for example? And what's really good now is that the government uh, future home standard are coming in by 2025 all homes will have to comply all new homes will have to comply with with that standard and that means that the energy use those buildings is really reduced they will be better insulated they will have things like triple glazing they will be either using uh, solar panels or air source heat pumps or other methods to generate energy that will reduce uh, the fuel use and reduce the bills for the owners so that's brilliant that's ticked off and really we don't have to worry about that and we can explain that to people the, the energy use from where people live and carbon emissions, only about 20% of that comes from the homes. The remainder comes from other things like transport, uh, food production, where food's coming from, uh, uh, workplaces and so on. So that's the other bit that we can tackle. And again, through sustainable, uh, thoughtful master planning, we can start to unlock some of those things. So as we've discussed, if you can allow people to use more sustainable modes of transport, that will then reduce carbon emissions. If, if people can walk or cycle where possible, or public transport, that all is positive. Uh, or if they can't, then you you, know, you can produce. You, you will need to will need to provide things like EV charging points and, and and those. But but really, you've got to look at the options that avoid car use first, because that there are other issues in relation to car use in, such a, in terms of congestion, the capacity of our roads, do it. And then things like food production, obviously, we have kind of, dependent on our agricultural industry and food coming from uh, uh, abroad as well if we can look at how we can design in spaces either in private gardens or in public spaces we're standing next to a small uh, uh, orchard here at Cranbrook but also allotments design those into the, the to the place and you enable people again who want to to be able to produce food Uh, on site that has lots of benefits it's a healthy activity it's it's all about being active it's locally sourced food you know where it's come from it's going to be organic or or, or sustainable from that point of view but it's also food on your doorstep zero food miles fresh as you can get Uh, and you know that's a really good benefit for the uh, the climate as well as for individuals
0: and Andrew over the years You've been doing this job. How have you seen the the kinds of concerns and questions that people have at these consultation events or or whether they look at the plans online? How have those questions changed as people become more aware of the impacts of the climate emergency?
2: People are much more interested in in climate and biodiversity net gain. In transport solutions, uh, it used to be that everyone was just worried about people jamming up the roads with cars. Everyone seemed to think that everyone who was going to move into new house would have four cars you can sort of talk to them. As we were saying earlier about railways and and uh, even in some areas we're working on trams, uh, repurposing old railway lines. I was looking at a project the other day where someone's taken an old railway line and just made it into a super cycle highway, which is a great idea because it's just going to be <laughs> flat and straight, as you know. So people are tending to think a little bit more, more greener and that's great because, as Paul said, you, you've almost covered that off with future home standards. Is any project we're working on now we're starting to work on now those homes will by almost definition be future home standard compliant so yeah we can talk about not just healthy homes but then we talk about healthy lifestyles which which gives you much more many more options
1: i think what andrew is really interesting point is really relevant is there's a social equity issue in that if you design places that people are reliant on the car then that's fine if you are Relatively well off, and you've got a, uh, you, know, you can afford a nice big house. You can afford to have, uh, uh, parking spaces for however many cars you need. But there are a lot of people who uh, aren't in that position, and uh, you know, lower-paid workers. You've got a cost of living crisis as well. All these things that we've talked about address that issue as well. If you can provide ways that people can move around cheaply and sustainably then that increases their ability to access services to be part of the community. And that's a really fundamental part of being sustainable. It's not just about energy use, it's not just about biodiversity, it's about community and social equity as well. And these measures cut across all these things. If you create a sustainable place, it's got to be based around the community as much as around energy and around biodiversity.
0: And Paul, I know we talked about you know architecture being about you know drawing pictures of, of structures. I suppose it's much harder to share a vision for how people will live.
1: Uh, yes, it can be. But I think as Andrew was just saying, it, telling the story is the key part of that. What, what will it be like a future? And imagery can help with that. We we use hand drawn illustrations as well as computer generated images to really kind of explain and give, sell that vision. And you've got to have that vision from the outset and build it in. And I, and I think the point is, in terms of communicating that with the existing communities who may have concerns, is, is the, that story that we tell together is, a, is about explaining that vision, but also you know, there are issues people have concerns about, so listen to those and address them, but also explain how it helps. So, for example, we're working on a new community, uh, it'll be a new garden village about 1,500 dwellings in Gloucestershire. The existing villages that are immediately around the site have obviously got concerns because it's a big change in their, their situation. But those villages at the moment they have a very small primary school and a small uh, kind of shop post office which is great which is better than some communities but very limited and actually for the majority of their day to day requirements those people have to rely on the car Um, and so the car ownership in those uh, existing communities is about twice the national average Uh, that means if you're a young person or an elderly person can't get around so much uh, there isn't a regular bus service you're kind of trapped in that community other than by car but what we are explaining through the vision is that there are lots of positive benefits. The scheme will provide uh, lots of new green spaces, uh, accessible parks, there'll be a new shop, there'll be a new primary school, but also, more importantly, um, those communities at the moment are totally reliant on the car. If they want to go to uh, a main shop or secondary school or there's railway station, there's a mainline railway station that's than two miles from the site, they have really got to get in the car and existing A road, railway station and motorway all form a barrier between where they live and these facilities. Our scheme uh, will enable a really direct pedestrian walking and cycling connection to be put in with a new bridge going over these barriers, so people will be able to walk or cycle to the station, and it's literally a 10-minute walk. Like we have here at Cranbrook, we can see the benefit of that. For people living here, you can go and get to the train, so that allows a lot more flexibility for where they can go and work in the future, but also they can then have this life in a community where you have all those facilities on tap, and that's the existing community as well as the future residents. So being able to explain that, articulate it, and the people in the community still will hate it and say, I really don't want to uh, have that development. But a lot of them are appreciating that okay if we if, if the development is got to come because we have these other issues of housing need that have to be fulfilled then how can we make that as good as possible? How can it benefit the community and not just be a
0: negative? And Andrew, how do we go about communicating that over the period of a project? Paul talked there about when land's identified in a local plan. But from that to what we see now in front of us at Cranbrook, we're talking years, sometimes decades. How do you go about making sure those communities are on board at the very beginning, but then also just keeping them with you throughout the, the whole process of a project?
2: You need to be open and honest with people. You need not to present them with a, what we call a sort of pre-baked cake. The ideal communication strategy gets people involved from the very beginning, as Paul said, explaining the benefits of the, of the potential new community to them, asking them what they want to get out of it. We often come across villages where the primary school is losing students, pupils, because people, families are moving away. They can't get the jobs or the homes, so they're moving towards the cities, and then the children naturally follow, and then the schools are there. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, Andrew raised a really good point there. It lost this projects we work on and from, from big large schemes to smaller kind of, whilst we're talking about a bigger development actually, around the existing communities and villages, one of the issues is um, that uh, people who live and grew up there, the kids can't stay there. Or for older people, they haven't got housing that they can move into that's appropriate for kind of uh, uh, later life needs. So the opportunity is for kind of sustainable, uh, thoughtful development to kind of support that community. And again, working with those people, kind of talking to each to them uh, together, talking to the parish council, talking to uh, residents, finding out what those needs are is really helpful. We've got a scheme we're working on in North Devon at the moment where there's a huge pressure on housing through holiday homes, second homes, and there's. Really strong feedback. We had a consultation session uh, last week with stakeholders, and that included four different community land trusts that are looking to build their own developments in these communities. And these are small, kind of 10 to 15 homes. We're looking at a scheme that provides 100 homes in an infill site in the community, and that will provide 50 affordable homes there that will enable some of these people who can't buy a house, can't stay within their uh, area there where their families are to remain in the communities and benefit then from that network of support. They're kind of people, their friends and families, you know, you've got uh, you know, family childcare on, on tap, you can go to the primary school that you went to, uh, that you, your kids can go to the primary school that you went to as a uh, child yourself. And you're maintaining that sustainability in, in the community through appropriate and carefully thought out development, which is developed in partnership with, with people. And I think that's the key, it's, it's getting beyond the kind of them and us situation looking at how we can work in partnership with communities parish councils and the key stakeholders to get a development that really is meaningful and sustainable
0: i suppose the difficulty is andrew you will just get people who don't like change you know they've lived somewhere for a long time they get used to it being a certain way and then they really just can't imagine that vision that, that that paul's just talked about how do do we go about when we put on consultation events design consultation websites what sort of level of research do we have to go to to help inform people's opinion of, of a new development?
2: We'll do some, some really deep research into the local area, into its needs, into, into the history of it. You say people don't like change, but it's very easy to show on a map or a series of maps how communities have changed. And they've always changed and they've always grown. Uh, uh, and you explain this to people that actually, you know, every, every community that currently exists, be it a, a newly planned one, or an existing older community has always started somewhere and has always grown and has always changed and has always been changed. And and you show people there's always been change and they kind of start to buy into it. So understanding people's needs, understand what the communities are perhaps lacking, uh, understanding how people move around the community, those are really important things. And you can pull those out in a consultation and get people to understand how they can play a part in shaping a new community, how it can benefit them, how their children might actually not have to move out, how their neighbour might still be able to live in that community when their, their mobility needs change. It's all, it's all a discussion, and the best consultations are two-way discussions with existing residents. But also, we always want to look out for potential new residents. So ideally, we like to reach out to younger people who might immediately benefit more quickly from, from new housing. Cranbrook has, has had many critics, but it's also had many, many successes. Clearly it's, it's taken pressure off a lot of existing communities in terms of housing, so if you build a new community like Cranbrook, this means that your pretty little village might not have to change quite so much, and those pressures on, on existing facilities are taken away because they move the demand somewhere else. Cranbrook's a major success in actually bringing down house prices in East Devon. I think in, I can't recall, 2015, East Devon saw the greatest change in affordability in housing anywhere in England, uh, which kind of goes to show that when people say you build more houses, it doesn't bring that price down. Well, actually, there's a lot of evidence to show that it does. And again, that probably helps other communities so that the house prices there don't necessarily go up. And, and, and in a place like Devon and in lots of other places in the country, there is that great pressure on, on People who seem to buy second homes and just increase the prices and that reduces the options for local people. So new communities can actually sort of increase those options and mitigate those modern social demands.
0: And Paul, when you we talked about sort of what you do as a as a, a master planner, as an urban placemaker, people will have heard of, of land promoters and things and but might not actually be aware of sort of the job that, that we do as a comms agency. From your perspective, when you're part of a team, and we've obviously been part of a a team with you on on many projects, what does the comms part bring to the table when you're working on on big projects?
1: I think it's important really to to convey uh, and uh, uh, share the vision. And make sure it's a two-way discussion. We shouldn't just be out there broadcasting. We've got to be listening to what people are saying and understanding. I mean, it's a really important part of the design process. So, as, as master planners, you know, we're, as you mentioned, we're, we're working for land promoters, landowners, uh, developers to bring forward development, and that has got lots of issues uh, around that. And obviously, communities will have their concerns, as we've said. And there's an image that developers uh, can have of they're just being after making money. But a number of the clients we work for are responsible landowners who are really uh, passionate and understand how important it is for them to be supporting the communities. So Clinton Neville Estates, who we worked with lots of, on lots of projects, they recognise that the community that they are working within need to have houses. Uh, they need to have places to work. They need to be able to live healthy and, you know, more and more importantly, a sustainable lifestyle and tackle climate change and, and all these issues. So what we do together is part of that, but that's got to be developed through a dialogue. So we've got to understand what are the issues that are really important to people we're working with and then how do we work to address them. So a small scheme we're working on together in, in Woodbury, um, uh, in East Devon, for Devon Estates. We developed uh, and, and with Cavana Homes uh, delivered a very small housing scheme, of about 20 houses uh, close to the village centre. We worked very carefully with the community in the design of those houses so that they respected the character of the conservation area, the historic conservation area just next door. But also, one of the fundamental issues that the people who lived there said was there is a real problem with parking for the existing houses. We can only park on the road. And so we included in the scheme a very small pocket car park that provided those car parking spaces for the community. And that came directly through that dialogue. So it's only little things sometimes, but that really unlocks and addresses the concern. And, it, it, you know, from a, from a landowner, from a developer's point of view, view, if you can make those small movements in the scheme and can assist to address and unlock existing problems, the support you can get from that is amazing. And uh, it benefits the community, but it also develops the the landowner and and the developer because they are uh, smoothing that process and that speeds that up. If you can have a meaningful conversation and react to it, you can get through all these planning issues without having so many objections uh, and get a positive outcome for everyone.
0: And moving forwards, I suppose even more so with the introduction of biodiversity net gain, I suppose we'll see that even more.
1: There are a number of issues. Obviously, we're in a climate crisis, climate emergency. We've got government targets in terms of reducing our carbon emissions, uh, net zero by 2050. But lots of the local authorities are looking at 2030 or or, or kind of um, 2040 as being their net zero targets. There's a real challenge there and Biodiversity net gain is part of that, but there are also aligned issues. We've got an uh, issue with transport and how people move around, and capacity on our road networks. We've got um, health and well-being issues, an obesity crisis, where there are uh, you know, there's a huge pressure on the NHS through preventable illness, um, by people having the ability to kind of be more active. Uh, and then you know, the biodiversity emergency is part of that. So the recently introduced legislation, which requires 10% biodiversity net gain, is a really important part of that. But as master planners and uh, landscape architects. What we want to do is make sure we really incorporate that into the whole design strategy so it's not just it's an add-on you try and squeeze in bits of kind of habitat in different places uh, it's about looking at sustainable placemaking in the broader sense and you can see that here we're standing in the country park we've got housing on the skyline just behind us but we're surrounded by an area where we've got a wild meadow we've got birdsong around us there's been woodpeckers and black caps and various other birds that are kind of within this retained habitat there's lots of butterflies using the meadows area at the moment we're then next to us we've got a, kind of a youth shelter and some orchard trees that have been planted as part of this and then we're standing next to a dog training area. So we've got this great place but it's designed uh, as a whole and the habitat things we talked about, the meadow and the retained headland, uh, woodlands, there's wetland here as well as part of the drainage strategy, that's providing that biodiversity net gain but it's also open space and it's also kind of creating those areas that people can come and use and exercise. So it's brilliant, it's kind of covering all the bases and it's got to be integrated. have got to work together with all the other professionals in the team and then, as we said earlier, then you've got to communicate that, explain how that's working, and what will be delivered at the end.
0: And Andrew, when we do that, I mean, we hear this phrase greenwashing often, mm-hmm. but when we're talking about it in the, in the way Paul's just described, these are these are legitimate, you know, ways of Im- improving biodiversity. How do we do that and communicate that with it, with people, with communities, without being accused of greenwashing?
2: I think you need to demonstrate it to them. Probably <laughs> a great idea to bring people here. Often. People think fields are the most amazing biodiverse places but if they're intensively farmed they're farmed for a purpose with one aim in mind which is to produce a single crop generally and that's not biodiverse it's bio but it's not very diverse so it is possible to to bluntly take away half of that for housing and with the other half create something that is genuinely biodiverse way more biodiverse than some sort of mono agriculture area. So, you know, it's possible you can show them, bring them here, Yeah, it'd be great.
0: I mean, you can hear it, as Paul said, you can hear the birds, the butterflies are are incredible. You may have also heard the planes and the trains. So, I mean, a community like this, Paul, is so well positioned because, as you say, we've got the housing. Some of the infrastructure was here, the airport was always nearby, but they've created a new station. But to walk between the housing and the station, you walk through this amazing area.
1: Absolutely. I think what you've kind of touched on there is that one of the key things when you're looking at where new communities are located is about that connectivity. And you don't just plonk in it in the middle of, of nowhere without any uh, uh, network that you can join into. So this uh, decision to place Cran- Cranbrook here was a very clever one by the East, Dev- East Devon planners. we have got the train line next door to it. As you say, there's new tra- trains being delivered. You've got a really good road network as well. We're not far from uh, the M5 motorway. Uh, and then we've got the airport and doorstep as well, but also there's a series of kind of industrial business parks around here as well. So there are places for people to work as well. And the connections between the Cranbrook and those uh, are, are being really well thought out as well. So there's cycle routes and bus connections, so that people who work here, again, don't have to rely on the car. There are other options that people can use. And I think one of the things that we kind of quite often, people are really concerned about with the new development is about increasing car traffic but if you can plan in those sustainable uh, active transport or public transport connections from the outset that gives people the option and, and a lot of the problem that's been with development post-war is that it's really been embedded around the car and you have to you know, if you're living in those communities you've got no choice but to use a car similar to the, the communities we talked about in Gloucestershire earlier if you can design in those other options there will still be people who choose to use the car or have to use the car because they've got mobility issues But you enable the people who have a choice to choose those more sustainable routes. And if you can do that, then, as we said previously, there are lots of other benefits. There's health and well-being benefits. There are um, benefits in terms of carbon emissions. And it it also has a community benefit because those people are out and about in the street and mixing. You're seeing other people. You get to know your neighbours because you are moving through those places. So it's really good. Again, it's about joined up thinking, about making sure you make those connections and build them in at the outset. And I think, again, that's what we do as a team. Working with yourselves and working with all the other consultants, particularly kind of in this instance the transport planners, is you look at, from the outset, how are people going to move around, what are the existing barriers, the issues that people have to movement, how do we design that in, and if you do that at the start, you can also do it in a way that minimises the cost to the landowner and developer, so you can do it in a really efficient way, that means you're not trying to retrofit things later on, which costs a lot more than designing it in from the start.
0: Paul Osborne from LHC Design and Andrew Howard from CORE, thank you for joining us on Estate Matters. If your estate or rural business would benefit from communication support and reputation management, or if you'd like to discuss a project that requires the specialist stakeholder engagement and consultation that we've discussed today, please contact us via our website, corepr.co.uk.